You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. We are so happy to have you all here this morning with us. Um, our reading comes from 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17 this morning. That is on page 932 on the chairback Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, please take one as a gift from Mill Creek. Um, please turn to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17 with me. I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please please pray with me. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for new life. We thank you for those deciding to walk in the freedom that is you, Lord. Um, We thank you for your graciousness, your kindness, and who you are. We pray for Pastor Jeremy as um, he's delivering your word to your people, Lord. And we pray for those people who might not have made a decision to follow you, Lord, that you'll open their ears and their minds and their hearts for you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Michaela. Out of sight, out of mind. Anybody experienced this reality before? Out of sight, out of mind, you go rummaging through an old junk drawer and there at the bottom is that thing that you forgot you had and you think, oh yeah, well that's where that went. I like that thing. Or you go down to the basement and you're going through some old storage bin and you find a picture of when perhaps the kids were younger, some sort of note, no, that's where that went. My favorite is when I put on a coat, someday it'll turn cool, not yet, but someday it'll turn cool in our seasons. And I put on a coat, and, and, and you pull out like two 20s, you're like, oh, that's okay. That's my favorite, right? Maybe yours too. Out of sight, out of mind. And while this 500-year-old saying, I learned, so lots of people have experienced it, not just us, is perhaps true uh, literally in lots of ways, I wonder how often we recognize it's truth spiritually. See, there's these spiritual realities that some, where at some point you received. But unfortunately, there's this tendency to take those spiritual realities 
and then we put them in some junk drawer in our mind, and stuff ends up on top of it, and we, we go to sleep, and we have appointments, and all of a sudden, you realize months, years later, if you discover it again, oh, yeah, that thing. I think a very cool app that could be created uh, that could make us a lot of money would be an app that you download and you hit a bunch of subcategories and different settings and it could show you everything in your house that is out of sight, out of mind. That's a million dollar idea. Now don't be talking to me about, well, yeah, but how does it work? I don't know. I'm just the idea guy, okay? Wouldn't it be great? You just, oh, honey, look at all the cash that you have in old purses. That would be super cool. I don't have the app. I got something better. Spiritually, we've been given truths that can help us, that can save us from gospel amnesia. Uh, Gospel amnesia, this, this title that people a lot smarter than me have given to this condition that we have spiritually where things are out of sight and out of mind. Gospel amnesia, uh, a disease all of us have. Gospel amnesia, its antidote is found in a book. And my hope is today that you would perhaps dog ear 1 Timothy 1, 12, excuse me, 1, yeah, yeah, that's where we're at today, yeah? 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17, I have a different kind of amnesia, this is This is what the whole sermon's about. My hope is that you would dog ear 1 Timothy 1, and this could be a go-to place when you find yourself waking up struggling with gospel amnesia. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to that text today? If you're newer to Mill Creek, we're so glad to have you here. We want you to be in the Bible this morning so that you know we didn't just wake up one day and decide, oh, maybe we'll talk about gospel amnesia on this. But instead, the truths that we find here to battle gospel amnesia are actually the truths that God has provided for us in his text. And in this section, this is the big idea, and that's why it's the big idea of the sermon. So, In this section, Paul's going to give us five truths to battle gospel amnesia. And I want to walk through them. If you're taking notes, you might write down this first one. Find strength in Christ. We draw this from the beginning of verse 12. Look there at verse 12 to find Paul has just transitioned from warning about false teachers and their use of the law, verses 3 to 11, to talking about his conversion having been a false teacher. See, if you were with us last week, verses 3 to 11, we're just into this book of 1 Timothy uh, so far. This is week 3, so you haven't missed much. What he did last week was help us realize false doctrine is deadly, and, and false doctrine will kill. And he has told Timothy, you need to go confront these false teachers or else. But in this section then, he's giving by example... Timothy's this wonderful gift because we imagine Timothy. Um, We understand he's young. We understand he's fearful. We can imagine um, his dad was Greek. It's his mom and his grandma who raised him in the faith. So kind of got that mama's boy thing going on. And we can imagine when when Paul says, bro, you got to go confront these false teachers. He's thinking, are you kidding me? I'm weak sauce. How am I going to find the strength to go talk to those guys? 
And that's why Paul starts here in verse 12, having just come off of the confrontation charge to say, find strength in Jesus. This is an example. Paul's modeling for Timothy. You don't have to try harder, Timothy. You don't have to go hit the weight room and become a meathead. The way you find strength is not in you. It is in Christ. I know it's quick, but here already we find a crucial truth for those needing strength. Whether you've heard this all your life or this is the first time you're hearing the truth, the secret source of strength for Christians is not in ourselves. Oh, I know there are books and podcasts out there that are encouraging you to work harder and go faster and never quit. And in our culture, that will tell you, uh, hustle culture particularly, will say, if you would just toughen up and be more of a man, why then you could be a somebody. Wake up earlier, exercise more, drink 16 gallons of water a day, do a thousand push-ups on your lunch break, and if you would do this hustle and grind culture, why then you'd be a somebody. Hustle and grind culture is a false gospel. Oh, you might feel good about yourself for a while, but it's not where you find true strength. True strength is found in Christ. That's where you get strength, and that's what Timothy needed. I wonder if you need that today. The church is a place where broken, weary, heavy laden are welcome. This isn't the place where we come beating our chest trying to show off how awesome we are. We show up here because we know we're weak. We need Christ's strength. So so if you came here today and you thought, well, I was looking for a few tips on self-improvement. I was wondering how to get a new PR and max out and the raw, 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 raw. You've come to the wrong place. Instead, know this. What God requires, God provides. And God does not call the strengthened. He strengthens the called. If you're here and you're weak and broken and weary and heavy laden, welcome. Join the club. I hope you're encouraged. In case you're here and you think, okay, but, but how do I actually find strength in Christ? Here's my best tip. My best tip is, if you're in Christ, to pray to him out loud. I know that doesn't sound that revolutionary, but I think there is something powerful, of course, about prayer. But then when you start praying it out loud, that your voice and your vocal cords are moving and your ears hear it, and you say things like, I need you. There's power to declaring that out loud. If you're wondering how to plug this truth into your life, here's my encouragement. Pray out loud, and then secondly, on your knees. Actually assume the posture. You start your day tomorrow with a, on your knees, saying, hey, I need you, out loud. Christ will provide what he, re, what he requires. I don't know if you left this truth in some pocket somewhere, spiritually speaking, but here is a gospel truth to get out and put in a prominent place. Truth strength is found in Christ. 
move with me to a second truth that is so important for us. We are judged faithful because of Christ. I get this from truth from the second half of verse 12 through 14. We are judged faithful because of Christ. Look there at verse 12 again, where we find Paul mentioning Christ had judged him faithful. And what seasoned Christians may need to be reminded about is the only reason you have been judged faithful is not because of what you do, but because of what Christ did. All right, somebody must have put some sleeping pills in your coffee because that was fire. And you just got to know that that is the truth, man. All right, now that you're with me, here we go, yeah? New Christians know this. Our boy, Sean, who's up here talking about how he tried every other world religion and found them wanting, he gets this. It's a powerful truth new Christians know. Seasoned Christians can forget this. We are judged faithful, not based on our resume, our letter jacket, our credentials. We are judged faithful because of Christ's. I've been told that in some cultures, people will talk to the pastor to let them know they're being encouraged, but often in, but often in white culture, the way we affirm our pastor is we furiously write notes and shake our head quietly. <laughs> I would welcome anybody who also would like to do that and say some words to me while we're talking. I welcome that. Let the record show. We are judged faithful. Yeah, we are judged faithful because of Christ. The challenge, though, is that we can so quickly, we can so quickly forget whose verdict really matters. And we can begin to think, well, I have, um, I have a really bad verdict on myself, and I'm painfully aware of all of my shortcomings, and all of a sudden, Christ's verdict takes a back seat because my own verdict is so powerful, and I have this deceiver and accuser voice in my mind who just keeps reminding me what a pitiful mess I am, and I feel awful about all of the mistakes made, and, and there's conscious and unconscious sins, and there's sins of commission and sins of omission, and man, I'm just not doing enough, and over the course of time, we can have this gospel amnesia problem where we find ourselves going, God probably isn't forgiving me right now because I feel awful about myself. That's a challenge. But look at Paul in verse 13. He's reminding Timothy and the church of Ephesus as this letter is being read church-wide. Paul's saying, look, let me tell you who I was. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an opponent of Jesus who acted ignorantly in unbelief. Would you like to know what other sin he put, didn't put on the list but is true from Acts 7? Murderer. I mean, Paul killed Christians, and yet, and yet, verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What Paul's modeling for Timothy, 
by extension us, is that while we may feel unfaithful before God, worried that his grace may run out, worried that we have this deep need for an overflowing cup of grace, but God's only put like one or two drops and we already used those last year and now we don't have any, anything left. What, what Paul is telling Timothy is you are not judged on your own standards. You're not judged based on how you feel about yourself today. That's not how it worked. It's not how it worked. Instead, Christians are judged faithful because of Christ's verdict. In previous sermons, you might have heard me explain this gospel truth, entitled it Double Imputation. And in case you forgot about double imputation or you put it in some storage bin in the basement of your heart, let us get this out and make sure we are reminded what double imputation is. Here is what this means. My sin has been imputed to Christ. A $5 theology word that means my sin was placed on Christ. My sin was credited to Christ's account. For all who are in Christ, every sin past, every sin present, every sin future, all of that sin, all of it has been imputed to Christ. And... Because it's double imputation. It's not single. It's double. Double imputation. All of Christ's righteousness. His perfectness. It has been imputed on Christians. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. We can call it a great trade. This way I try to teach the kids. What did Christ earn? Heaven. What do we deserve? Hell. And he traded us. My sin goes to Christ, he takes my hell. His perfectness goes to me, I receive his heaven, his eternal life. Double imputation. So if you're there and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but pastor, I'm not good enough. I don't feel good enough. I know, I know that's true here, but I'm, but I'm in this moment and my senses know I'm a, I, I just don't deserve his love. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. Of course you don't feel good enough. You're not. I'm not. Nobody enters the kingdom of heaven based on what they've done. All of us are undeserving sinners. We've deserved heaven. Christ has given us heaven. This is beautiful gospel truth. You're not judged faithful because of what you've done. You are judged faithful because of what Christ has done. And in case you feel like you've been in the desert and you're just looking for a little, just a drop of God's grace, verse 14, God isn't giving you just a drop or two. He is overflowing you with his grace. God's grace is overflowing and like a river that has run over its banks, that grace is going to get everywhere. You start reading this book and you realize his grace is amazing. And his grace doesn't stop. And like a flood, the water's getting everywhere. It got in my basement. The water, the water is getting on my good stuff. It's getting in my bed. That's the way God's grace is. It is overflowing and it will never run out. And if you want to taste God's grace, there is always more for you. God hasn't given you a few drops of grace to place here and here. He has given you a whole bathtub, a whole swimming pool. An ocean of grace is available to you. It is overflowing everywhere because of Christ.
Oh, I wish you would put that gospel truth somewhere handy. That can, that, that can help battle many a dark night of the soul. Our faithfulness is because of Christ. Move with me to searching in the third pocket in verse 15. Here's the truth. Christ can save anyone. Christ can save anyone. This is a gospel truth that can be hard to keep track of. It's like it wanders away and hides itself somewhere, but helpful for those especially discouraged when you are faced with hard-hearted people in your life. Perhaps you're around somebody who you think, God is never going to save them. This is never going to happen. Look at verse 15, one of the most powerful gospel statements in this letter, maybe the Bible. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul giving us a truth that is universal. Well, I don't believe that this truth is universal. Well, you may not believe in gravity, but it's true. God's blueprint, God's plan, which is, again, what this whole book is. This is God's blueprint for a strong church. Paul's wanting to make sure Timothy and everybody in the church knows this has been God's plan. As far as who's invited to be part of the church, who can be in God's community, the invitation is for everyone. If your heart is beating, you are invited. All sinners are invited. And the way Paul's argument is working, if you trace it closely, Paul's argument is working like this. Timothy, bro, look, man, if Christ can save me, psh, he can save anybody. And that's the way to see it. And it's true. If Christ can save Paul, he can save anybody. If he can save you, he can save anybody. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, that was rude. I don't know if you get the gospel. I mean, we are wretches, sinning wretches, and Christ saved us. Psh, he's going to take care of you just fine. If you're here and you showed up and you, um, if we made you drink a gallon of truth serum and you, you would be honest to have to say um, you're not a Christian. You're here, you're checking this out, but you are not a Christian. Here's Here's a thought I'd like to leave, that, that, that I'd like to give you. Uh, maybe this is the most important thing for you to think about or what I'd wish for you to think about. If, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I wonder, this truth that Christ can save sinners, even though you may not believe it right now, don't you wish it were true? See, if you're here, and you're thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't buy this Jesus stuff, but I'm checking you out, pastor. Well, don't you wish it were true? If it was a button, wouldn't you push it if you could? Wouldn't you want it to be true? Here's what I mean. My guess is if you're here and you're not a Christian, there are loads of memories that you have that you are embarrassed by. In Christian terms, we're calling it sin. In your terminology, you may think of it as regrets or mistakes or, or um, times when you are really embarrassed about yourself. And, and what I'm trying to get you to consider is if, if you're not a Christian today, wouldn't you have to admit that there are times when you have let yourself down? And if you've let yourself down, consider how far you from a holy and perfect God. 
Let me, let me say it like this. Um, over by the Walmart on Johnson Drive, they've got a car wash there that you can spend $40 for unlimited car washes in a month just to clean the car. How much would you spend, friend who doesn't trust in Jesus, how much would you spend a month to have your soul clean? Can you imagine what it would be like to be able to go through a 60-second soul wash and come out clean conscience? To come out and to know before an almighty God, I have been washed white as snow. And when he sees me, he doesn't see all my sin and failures. He sees the righteousness of Christ. What would you pay a month for that? <laughs> hey, friends, the price is right with the gospel. The price is right. It's free. Oh, some people say that you got to buy it, but that's not the Bible. It's free. It's free to you. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, this is my question. Wouldn't you wish that he could save you from your sins if it was up to you? Perhaps consider whether your soul can be washed white as snow. For those who are Christians, for those who do profess faith, be reminded, be reminded of this important gospel truth. There is no one in your family Christ can't save. There is no one in your family Christ can't save. And I know some of you are really deep in pain because because you're trusting that promise and it's hard to believe in the face of your circumstances, but it's true. Christ came into the world to save sinners. He can save anybody in your family. He can save anybody in your neighborhood. He can save anybody in your life. He can save anybody in this worship center right now. He can save anybody. And so there might be some folks that you have written off and thought, yeah, not them. That's a lie. Christ can save them. And so though you may have stopped praying for them or thought they were a lost cause, church, let us recommit to getting on our knees and desperately telling Christ we need your strength and would you please save. He can do it. He can do it. No one is too far gone. That's a beautiful truth. And I'm grateful for God's word that helps us remember this truth and battle our gospel amnesia. Three truths down, two more pockets, so to speak, to look through. Let's move to number four. Display Christ's perfect patience. Truth number four is there in verse 16. Look there in verse 16 to see where I draw this conclusion. See, I'm concerned that sometimes people show up at church and we preach through this and you go, oh man, I don't, I don't know how you, how do you do this thing? And what I'm trying to help you see is we just look at the text and see what does it say. Um, and, what, and what it says is Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. And I just made that the header. So that's just, it's, it's actually a lot more one-to-one correspondence and I'm wanting to help you see that so that you can appreciate that in Paul's argument, he wants everyone to realize the reason that it, it's happening like this is so that we may say, wow, God is perfectly patient. The reason that God has waited is to show glory for himself. Because some, here's what I think Timothy may be imagining. Hey, Jesus, if you would just come back right now, if you would just return right now, you could, you could, everything would be better because all those false teachers in the church, 
they would know that they're wrong and, and everybody in the church would know that I'm preaching the true gospel and then I wouldn't have to go confront all those false teachers because that's wicked hard, so we'd just come back. And then that may lead to Timothy you know, saying something like, why are you waiting so long, God? And what, what Paul's explaining is, here's, here's why. We know at least one reason why Christ still hasn't returned. In case anybody here is wondering, like, why is Jesus waiting so long? Answer, in part, to display Christ's perfect patience. See, see, my guess is there might have been people in Stephen's family. You know, Stephen was martyred by Paul. There might have been people in Stephen's family who thought, before he was martyred, please, God, just take this Paul guy out. Just take him out. Just come back. Save Stephen's life. And after Stephen was dead and put in the ground, my guess is there were some in his family who thought, why didn't you intervene? And the answer is so that everybody could see how patient Christ is. How patient Christ was with Paul. How patient, patient Christ has been with the false teachers in Ephesus. And for us then, it's to display Christ's perfect patience to us. See, aren't you glad Aren't you glad that Christ waited for you to profess faith in the gospel before he came back? Otherwise, we'd be in hell. Aren't you glad for Christ's patience to Paul? Where would we be if Paul never got converted? It's to display Christ's perfect patience. See, God's heart is that more might get to know him. And the longer he waits is because he is patient and welcoming and inviting sinners to repent. But here's the challenge. Too often, we get short-sighted and, and we, we aren't anchored in this gospel truth. We get gospel amnesia and we think that God is, he's waiting too long and he's, he's continuing to delay because maybe he forgot about us. That's not true. Or on the other hand, we can do this we make this problem where instead of putting Christ's patience on display, we like to put ourselves on display. This is another challenge with this truth is we end up going to our life group or we start going to a prayer meeting or we're hanging out with Christians and we're just so excited about ourselves and how wonderful we are. And so we just, what we put on display is me. And let me tell you some $5 theology words I know. And let me explain some of this book I was reading. And, and we try to read that book and we can't, it's not, it's not written at a third grade level. So we don't know how to read that book. And so we're just having this problem where folks get so enamored with themselves that they put their selves on display. Look, if, you're, if your testimony is something like, I was born really awesome, <sighs> then I went to a really awesome college, grew in my awesomeness, came to know Jesus, he makes me awesome, and now if you'd like to know Jesus, um, you should be awesome like me and know him. If that's the way you tell your story, you're missing who's awesome in that story. We're supposed to display Christ. We're not awesome. Christ is. And what Paul's doing here is honestly showing Timothy his story. Look, you, here's who I was. And I wonder if it wouldn't be a lot better when we're in our life groups or in our prayer meetings or we're visiting over coffee with somebody, if we ought to just be really honest about who we were. And instead of trying to do all this image management and make people think we're better Christians than we are, just let folks know, yeah, I was a really awful, awful sinner. This, I'm a wretch and I need Jesus and I need him bad today. You know, maybe over lunch you could do that. Just share with somebody how patient Christ has been particularly to you. That would be very encouraging. 
Write, these down, write this down, please. Make much of Christ's patience. That's the takeaway. Make much of Christ's patience to you. Fourth truth found. One more to battle gospel amnesia. Here it is. Praise God for who he is. Verse 17. Paul, he finishes our search for gospel truths. Rejoicing. It's like he's talking to Timothy, and then all of a sudden there at verse 17, do you see how he sort of shifts his focus? Instead of talking to Timothy and the church, all of a sudden he's aimed at God. To the king of the ages, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. I almost can imagine it's like Paul breaks out into song. It's like he's a musical. He's given all of this information, hey, find this truth, find that truth, remember this, Timothy, and then all of a sudden he's like, that's time to sing a little ditty to God. Let's just talk to God about how awesome he is. Singing, of course, one powerful way to be reminded of the gospel truths. Singing, one powerful way to remind one another of the gospel truths. There are certainly other ways that we can Remember and be reminded of who God is. And there's many ways that we can worship in a church. But if we are going to remember who God is and remind one another who God is, then the way we do that is through God's word and God's church. Which I hope explains to anybody in here who wonders, why do you guys get together and sing these things to one another? Uh, The answer is because we need to remember and we need to be reminded about who God is. And that's another reason why when we sing, we sing with our eyes open, singing to one another. When I showed up here and told some people, hey, um, when we get together as a church, we should sing. And, well, I can't carry a tune in my bucket, Pastor, or, or I actually don't like singing. It's like, well, it turns out Paul didn't say it was optional. I mean, he actually does command you need to sing, to, sing in uh, Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19. And um, while a lot of us have grown up in the tradition of eyes closed singing, you know, just, just me and God, it's just, just us, uh, the text actually says sing to one another, which leaves the comment in response, understandably, is, well, that's weird to like, you know, how great God is, and I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. That feels weird. Well, sorry it feels weird. I, I, I mean, it's what the Bible says, sing to one another. So, I mean, I, I looked at the original language, it, that's what it means too, sing to one another, so... And the power, though, of singing to one another, even though you may think, why does that guy on the front row kind of do this when he's singing? I'm, in addition to trying to be, I'm goofy anyway, but in addition to that, I, in addition to that, trying to do what the scripture says, there's actually this powerful thing happens when you sing to one another. See, some of you, you know some of the stuff that I'm anxious and panicky about, and you know, you know where I struggle. You know my Achilles heels. And some of you, you've shared things that you're struggling with. And so I'm seeing you sing to God, knowing the hurdles you're walking through, and you see me singing to God, knowing the hurdles I'm walking through. This is powerful. You start singing about the shores, and I look over at Pastor Marty after after having to bury his wife and knowing how beautiful that's going to be. That does something to us. And we need him, and he needs us to be reminded God is good. And there is an eternal life. What, what I'm trying to say is we need to be reminded and we need to 
remind one another about who God is. We need to be praising God. And, and praising God in music is not the only way we praise God. So let's not do this thing where it's like, hey, now it's time to worship, as if that's only singing. No, worship is this whole thing, but singing is a primary way we do that. And this then is why the church is so powerful and why when folks come in, it's like, well, this is very different because we actually are reminding one another the King Eternal is good and He is wise and we want to make much of Him. God's Word and God's church would be known by praising God and allowing His truths then to defeat gospel amnesia. That's what I've been trying to argue this whole sermon. That's the sermon in a sentence. If you want to take that down, it might be helpful for you. Praise God and allow his truths to defeat gospel amnesia. Because look, our sinful condition puts us in a place where we get forgetful. We don't mean to, but we put these gospel truths somewhere in our brain and they get covered up. And all of us are sick with this disease of gospel amnesia. And when that happens, how will you battle the fear and the insecurity and the anxiety and the doubts? How will you battle the feelings that you're inadequate? When the great deceiver is attacking you, telling you, you don't have what it takes, there's no reason to continue happens to all of us and when you find yourself having lost some gospel truths in your forgotten pocket here's what I want you to remember true strength is found in Christ Christ judges you faithful Christ can save anyone Christ has perfect patience in saving and that those truths would lead you to praise God, allowing his truths to defeat gospel amnesia. Church, here's to cooler weathers, cooler weather and finding forgotten cash in our coat pockets sometime this winter. More importantly, here's to gospel truths that can help us if our hearts cool to Christ in this coming season. Dog ear, 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17. Use it to battle gospel amnesia. Will you pray with me now? The Spirit would do this for us. God, we're so grateful for your word, so grateful for the church. And I do pray that you would help us be a strong church by following your blueprint. God, help us to tattoo these gospel truths in our mind. Help us to know where to go in your word to remember. And now encourage. Encourage, guide, lead. God, for those in here who, who are not saved, I pray you would press on their hearts that they are sinners, and I pray, Spirit, you would save. You can save anyone. We pray that you would save all who hear this. Thanks for your perfect patience in saving us. In Christ's name. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.